Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is safety expert, Abby Ferry. Abby has over 20 years of experience providing innovative risk and safety management solutions for industries from construction to healthcare and everything in between. Abby is the founder and co-host of the global top 200 podcast, Safety Justice League. She is currently chief risk officer at Insurate and has had an exciting career, including things such as leading the ASSP ISEA technical report committee, establishing guidelines for the fit and selection of PPE for women, establishing safety education for construction management students, leading an international professional society's women in safety group, and receiving multiple awards, including the International Safety Equipment Association's Distinguished Service Award, and ASSP's Safety Professional of the Year. Abby is also a speaker featured at conferences throughout the US and global events virtually, and has led several initiatives to increase girls' interest in trades and EHS careers. Well, you are right up our alley. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Abby. Thank you. And in her free time, just kidding. (laughs) She doesn't have free time. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? It's because you love your work. Yeah. it is your fun now. I don't know. I'm speaking for you. Is that true? It It is true. Like safety really, it's one of those career paths that um, until I like jumped onto it, I had no clue what it was, didn't know it existed. And just, I'm just so happy I accidentally got into construction safety. Um, it's It's been awesome. So yeah, like adding on things that increase women's exposure in the industry and getting young girls excited about careers in construction or safety or risk management. Um, all of it is just like, it's all related to my work, but Mm -hmm. some of that stuff just doesn't feel like work. It just feels like that's the things that I want to do because I feel that it's important. So it sounds like a lot, but you know, I, I enjoy most of it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like it's like when people ask me what my hobbies are, I'm like, hobby? Like, what do you mean? Because yeah. everything I do is for me is fun. So yes. because it's it's supporting a mission that I have, and I think I think it's I have a feeling it's very much the same for you. Absolutely. Um, so Abby, we know that you've had this illustrious career, young career actually so far, but still uh, illustrious career in safety, but. How did you get involved in this field to begin with? Yeah, um, I worked for a construction company just in their office in the the late 90s. So ancient history, maybe to some of the listeners. And (laughs) (laughs) I would do such things as, you know, faxing and scanning and making copies and putting people's paychecks on their desk. And I noticed that these two paychecks would go on people's desks, but I never saw the people at their desk, but the paycheck would be gone in the morning. So I thought, what is this job? I want to do it. And so I learned (laughs) that they were the safety guys and I 
finally was able to corner them and have them tell me more about their, their work. And, um, they both suggested I take uh, coursework in a master's program in environmental health and safety at the college I was at, and it was a one-year program. So, you know, pretty low stakes. I mean, definitely a ambitious, uh, course load in that one year, but you know, you get a master's degree in one year. Awesome. You know, and they, their advice was, if you don't like it, you have a master's in a year. And if you do like it, you have a great career. And so it was that second part, um, I was the only person in my class that year that was really interested in construction. Everyone was kind of like competing over the same semiconductor and tech industry jobs. And I just had no use for that at the time. I wanted to be in jeans and a t-shirt outside. And so construction was for me. And before I graduated from the program, I actually had a job lined up in Southern California, which was also awesome because I was in Northern Minnesota at the time. So it was a total life change, starting a career, like all the crazy stuff you could do at age 21, um, starting off into your career. So, um, yeah, that's, I started there and it just took off from that point. I just have always loved construction. I grew my love for safety. You know, sometimes it's difficult, um, but finding other ways to bring people into the profession has been really helpful. Do people like the safety person when you walk onto when you walk onto the construction center? Are you welcome site? Uh, you know, early on, not really. Um, <laughs> a lot of the workers they kind of had like this. It was like their arms were crossed. You know, like, well, what's this chick? I mean, really, like, what's this chick going to teach me about anything? And so I would say, well, nothing. Um, can you tell me about what you do? And so it was that like, um, kind of disarming of the workers that I worked with at my first few jobs that really helped me, you know, selfishly to learn a lot and, um, also to kind of take advantage of their preconceived notions that I didn't know anything. So when mm -hmm. I did come back to them after listening and watching what they did and had suggestions for better ways to do something or PPE options that they might like better. They were just blown away. And so I still keep in touch with a lot of the workers from my first job. Like they've grown into, you know, superintendent roles and beyond. And so as my career grew, their career grew. And I feel that I just, I hope I planted that seed of safety, you know, for them early on and that they're not causing trouble for some safety person out there somewhere on another job site. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at first it, it can be very negative and, um, um, challenging, like people will outright challenge you. And so it's not like you have to be ready for a fight every day. Cause some safety professionals, they do take that really adversarial position with workers that it's like, they're going to like pound it into their head. Like, this is how you do it. And that was just never my approach. And honestly, as I, as I met more women in the field of safety, and just as I've grown in my career, I see there's more women in safety. And I feel there's a lot of those, um, you know, soft skill skills and traits that come naturally to women. And I feel many women are very well suited to a role in safety management, risk management. It's just a very natural fit. And mm -hmm. a lot of the talk, I mean, there's like a lot now about like psychological safety and um, just doing safety in different ways. And when you really look at it, it's how a lot of us in safety have already practiced safety our entire career. And now other people are just catching on like, yeah, you can't beat people up with regulations. You have to ask them questions. You have to approach with curiosity and build relationships. And so 
I don't know. I'm just, I'm glad people are realizing that and that safety isn't having that negative connotation to the worker. It makes it a lot easier for a new and emerging safety professional to have a, you know, have success in the field early on. That's so interesting. So the more women are getting into the field, the more are you noticing that the, it's more turning toward these issues of uh, uh, psychology as being a part of it and your bedside manner, so to speak, yeah. being a part of the way, uh, being becoming a more important part of the way safety officers and experts are handling uh, their, their charges. Yeah, I think it's more welcome, like a, like a more, um, just friendlier, uh, engaging relationship building approach is more welcome in the past. I felt that, and I just didn't really think anything of it back then. It's just like, oh, I have to yell a little bit or, um, project managers would tell me, you know, they're really going to respect you. Once you fire somebody, just, you got to fire someone. And then they're really just going to fall in line. And I was like, I don't know. I get what you're saying, but that's not really my style. And honestly, I don't think I ever fired anybody for anything related to safety. Um, so, but I still was able to find success in the career. So, so there, you know, to the people yeah. that thought I had to fire someone. Um, but I feel that especially in construction and other like very heavy industrial settings that like the, the yelling and just like the really old school, um, just adversarial workplace. I mean, no one wants to work in a place like that. So I feel that as more women have gotten into the field, it's also at the same time that these traditionally like very gruff, um, crusty fields are becoming mm -hmm. a little bit more soft and they have to, because if people are going to cross their arms and say, no one wants to work anymore, we really have to look at our workplaces and, and identify why would someone not want to work here. And yeah. at some places it's like, wow, there's a lot of reasons why people would not want to work here. I get it now. Um, so I think that the, the focus on soft skills and what women can bring to safety, but bring to their industries in general is very welcome. And you might know this, uh, what, it what is the percentage of women in safety? Has that changed over the years? Gosh, that's a tough one. I want to say it's almost like 50, 50 men and mm -hmm. women. Um, when my industry does salary surveys, often more men respond to it. I don't think that means anything about the actual demographics of the profession. I just think more men are responding to the salary surveys. Um, and with the women that do respond, we still see a, a very large pay gap in some cases. So mm -hmm. that's been uh, very eye-opening to me over the past I, at least 10 years that I've been paying attention to it. Why should a woman in safety with the same amount of experience and credentials as a man earn $10,000 less in a year? And that's so just the you, people that you, responded. Are you talking about in the same, within the same companies or across the board? Uh, across the board. So the salary surveys divide it by industry. So you can, you know, get more fine-tuned, but overall, um, it, when you look at those salary surveys, it doesn't matter the industry, the, the women are making less. Sometimes the gap is larger. Sometimes it's not as big. So you're able to see, uh, you're able to look at a specific portion of the industry and see that, uh, women who are in this particular position, I, I don't know, an example of a position, executive safety director, is that a thing? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So versus the men, number of men in that position, and then you're comparing their salaries, you're saying across the board, the women are making less. Yes. Yep. And, and, and even if they, that's even if they have the same level of the same amount of experience, same number of years of experience. Yep. Um, And what about educational level? Is, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Everything you can sort it so that it's all equal and then look at men versus women. And I, cause I've, I've gone through this process where it's like, well, what if it was this, what if it was that? And, uh, it's, there's still the, the pay gaps. They're either like a small gap in some industries, like manufacturing, I think usually has like less of a pay gap, but I noticed that construction, um, has a larger pay gap between the women and the men working in safety. Yeah. It's so, it's so infuriating and unfair. And I, I'm, you're always like, for me, when I hear about this, I'm always trying to dissect it and figure out yeah. what, what is causing it. You know, is it just pure discrimination that an employer is old school and looks and says, well, that woman doesn't have to support her family. So we're just going to pay her less hmm. or, um, you know, or is it that women are working at certain types of places and maybe it's a place that doesn't have as big of a budget. It's also knowledge too. I've noticed that in the past few years, as people become more comfortable talking about pay, that I know in my recent experience, um, being transparent with coworkers about pay, we learned a lot of things that were Mm -hmm. very shocking and um, didn't make any sense. And so a lot of it is um, honestly advocacy for self. But if you don't know what others might be making in your field, how can you know what to advocate for? And I've seen a few recent examples with uh, people in my network where they're making the most money they've ever made in their career. And they should be, you know, they should be mm-hmm. at this point. But um, the contrast from their most previous position to their current position is a lot of money. And, but it was a course correction in their career path. It's really where they should have been. Um, so it shouldn't have been such a big jump, but it was because they were making so much less than their counterparts at the previous role. So they discovered this through maybe social media, discussing it in groups, and then they were able to use that uh, as information to go to their employers or to go to another employer and leverage a different position with more money. Exactly. Often they have to leave their current employer to go after the money that they actually should be earning at this point. Very few cases do people come to their current employer armed with, you know, the salary survey and transparency from people in the industry and make a bunch more money. Um, (laughs) It's too bad, but, you know, often people have to leave to make that big jump, but then they've corrected their career path. And so now going forward, they know what to expect and know what to what to demand, you know, of yeah. that next employer or their current one. Yeah. I, I only laughed because it's so, it's such a ridiculous thought. It is going to go, Oh, you're right. Let me pay you my day. I wish they would, but right. it's very hard to imagine that. But so I, I do see why they have to go to a different place and maybe it's better culture wise anyway. And maybe they'd be, they're happier there. Yeah, actually there, there's a great podcast episode. Um, the, we can do hard things podcast. I've, I can't, remember who the guest was right now off the top of my head, but they were talking about making those big jumps that sometimes you have to think about why am I still where I'm at? You know, I should not be putting up with that. And often women in safety in these traditionally male populated fields, they might've been putting up with something for way, way longer than they should. And it's holding them back from where they could be in their next role. And what are some of the places where women can get together and find out, or anyone can get together and find out about comparable career salaries? 
Yeah. I mean, if you feel comfortable talking to your own coworkers, um, talking to other people in your industry or through associations like I'm in with ASSP, um, other counterparts in National Safety Council, um, groups within ASSP, I mean, the Women in Safety Excellence, the WISE group, we talk about this stuff all the time. And it's with the goal of making sure that the women among our group are getting what it should be coming to them. So, and if they're not, then we have mentoring programs available to help people with that salary conversation or to help them get ready for interviewing for the next role. Um, very, we have a very strong mentoring program. So whether someone's an ASSP and wise or in another group like women in manufacturing or other, other groups, I mean, there's so much out there. Um, I really strongly suggest finding a mentor. That's like a just in time mentor. That's someone that can help you through the things that you're facing right now. Not so much like um, ambiguous, like large career concepts, but like, where do I want to be in three to six months? Get a mentor that can help you get to that point. Is that a specific setup that some, that your that WISE or ASSP has where they'll just set you up with a temp, I guess for lack of a better word, temporary mentor? Yeah, we do. We have like short-term mentoring relationships and then also long-term. I'm in a very long-term mentoring relationship with someone who's just, we're just friends now. So, you know, it's less of the mentoring and like talking, you know, so strategically about work, but like more of, you know, we've, we've become friends. And so that's what happens a lot within WISE, especially because the mentoring program is just so strong. And it's not so much that it's like regimented that you have to do certain things. It's really up to the mentee to guide, you know, how the path is going to go to send the the calendar invite to their mentor to actually talk about the things. So it's very mentee directed, but mm -hmm. having a mentor assigned to them that is going to be, uh, have a meaningful impact with them. And then we also take it a step further within WISE and we talk a lot about sponsorship. So not mm -hmm. just mentorship where you're talking about like, here's how you can, you know, do these things to help your career, but also here's someone I can introduce you to, or I'm going to introduce you to these five people, or, um, I will be, a um, a reference for you on this next job that you're going for. So like actual active sponsorship of that person growing their career. Yeah. What is the difference between mentorship and sponsorship? You know, there's probably like an actual definition, but, <laughs> um, to me, it's more so like mentoring is kind of like, conversation. And like I said, with wise, it's very mentee led. And so mm -hmm. the mentee is like, oh, I need to work on, you know, these three things because my employer thinks I do. And so then they go to their mentor and ask these questions. And it's more yeah. kind of like, um, you know, like soft professional development kinds of things. And sponsorship is where I think the mentor actually steps up and activates their network and makes connections for that mentee. Mm, okay. Now, as you know, for the Hazard Girls podcast, we interview all kinds of women in various fields. It ranges from winemaking to finance to construction. It's any male-populated industry. So with construction, we talk a lot about DIY because a lot of, um, well, a lot of the women we interview are, are into their own projects and trades. But when we talk about DIY with PPE, that's not such a good thing, is it? 
No, it is not. Um, I actually, I'm writing something, I'm writing a lot of content right now about PPE for women. And I'm fortunately like in my career, and I'm a weirdo because I'm five nine. I'm the average height of a, of an American man. So <laughs> I've been okay, you know, with, yeah. <laughs> with an employer just saying, here's a vest. It's probably a large and it might be a little big, but whatever. Um, then the shoulders get snagged on things. And so now I've learned. Um, but yeah, like doing things yourself as far as like cuffing up your pants, especially if it's like FR clothing. The clothing specifically says on, on the tags that you can't alter it. So that to me tells me that this is a piece of equipment or apparel that has to be sized for the worker. And if you're just throwing a, a FR coverall at a worker and, you know, she's five foot two and curvy, um, that large coverall isn't going to cut it. And, mm -hmm. you know, in multiple ways, it's just not going to work. So um, women often, and I'm looking at a sticker on my laptop about the Tradeswomen Build Nations event that I attended in 2019 here in Minneapolis. And I remember hearing from a lot of those women about uh, access to bathrooms, you know, porta potties, yeah. that they were holding it or, you know, not drinking water so that they wouldn't have to go to the bathroom during the workday, which is insane. Um, but I understand what they were doing. Um, same thing with PPE. If they have like gloves that are like, uh, like mittens, basically they're huge, they're comical. Um, there's other stuff that doesn't fit that they just would make do, or, um, there's been this rise of direct to consumer. I mean, you know, with work boots for women, um, yeah. And I know uh, a lot of apparel as well, FR, which is something that uh, employers should be providing, but there's I been a lot of that. women. Yeah. A lot of women just go and buy their own thing because they're like, you know what? It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense for me to be a squeaky wheel. The women mm -hmm. in the trades that I talked to, they would say, you know, we already stand out. Why do I want to stand out more? I'm already catching a lot of crap for, you know, asking for a porta potty, you know, that wasn't five blocks away from the job site. Um, cause that still happens even with large household name contractors that are out there that you would think know better. Um, so a lot of the women just, they, they do it themselves, whatever that it is. And, um, then that creates like this false sense of what's needed to the employers mm -hmm. or even to the PPE manufacturers. They're like, well, we're not hearing that this is an issue. So what are you talking about? And so that's mm -hmm. why this ASSP and ISCA technical report came about is like, we want to give those tradeswomen, we want to give the safety person, the purchasing director, whoever it is, we want to give them like, here's this report that actually tells you all the different ways that the different measurements on a woman's face even are different than men and how that impacts a respirator, how a respirator would fit them or how glasses fit them. Um, yeah. gloves, shoes, um, all kinds of things, the torso, all the different measurements on, uh, how women differ from men at scale, not just like, yeah, women are different sizes, but women have, uh, some average sizes that no matter how tall or short or curvy or skinny you are, that you're going to be different than your male counterpart. So a large in a men's cut is not going to cut it for a woman that might traditionally be a large in women's clothing. And 
all kinds of other stuff about like um, sizing and vanity sizing. And like, there's some equipment and apparel manufacturers out there that they have odd numbers for women's pant sizes. And that's junior sizing. That's not women's sizing. So even just little things like that. So that's why we have this report so that it can arm women and their allies and those that are trying to make better purchasing decisions with the actual data to go to these PPE manufacturers and say, here's what's different. So what are you doing to offer better PPE for these women? So this is the ASSP slash IFCEA technical report on the guidance for selection and fit of PPE for women. Yes. And you said it's coming soon. Coming soon. Okay. Yes. Uh, can, can you just, okay, just go back up a tiny bit and tell us what is covered and how big is the report? How, what areas are being covered? And is it, is it only PPE for women? And is it from head to toe? Tell us more. Head to toe. Yeah, actually, that's how we organize the document is kind of taking it head to toe and explaining the different anthropometric data that's known and out there. And also mm -hmm. maybe identifying some gaps in where some measurements could be added to, to this information. So NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, they do a lot of research. They have a whole like anthropometric um, lab, uh, like motorhome kind of things that they can come to a site and take a bunch of measurements. So they're trying to do better um, because a lot of sizing of PPE and work gear that we have available to us today is based on measurements of military men from the 50s and 60s. And I mean, that doesn't even compare to even men in the workforce that we have right now. Like they're even different in demographics mm -hmm. and anthropometric uh, data than the men of the 50s and 60s. So, you know, if we're, if we're looking at how women are different from men and taking that custom approach for PPE for women and providing options and sizes and try stuff on, that helps the men at the job site too. And so that was our conflict as a, a drafting committee writing this report is that one, like every time we'd sit down to write chunks of the report, it's like, we had to reaffirm why it was important because for so many years we've been told like, no, it's not an issue. It's fine. So even us women and man that was on the committee, um, we would often have to like recenter ourselves on the purpose and why it was so important and then keep moving. Um, so that became kind of an interesting theme that came out of, um, working with the drafting committee. So uh, yeah, it's it's pretty extensive. It's head to toe. We've got some charts and graphs at the in the appendices uh, portion of the document so that people can understand more about all these different measurements again from head to toe and where men and women truly differ. And how was the data gathered? So we did not gather data. We are highlighting data that's out there that isn't, it, it's currently underutilized by PPE manufacturers. So often, um, I mean, you've heard like the shrink it and pink it thing. I'm sure Amy talked about that too, when she was on, um, that it's like, women are not just small men. Um, some women might be bigger than the men that are on their job site. Some are smaller. So it, it truly takes a custom approach and understanding what are the actual differences, not just, oh, women probably want pink safety glasses and purple and leopard print coveralls. No, we do not. We just want things that actually fit that are based on real data that's out there. So our report, the purpose of the report is to have a single source for the data that's available. And mm -hmm. sure, maybe at some point someone will see, you know, from NIOSH or wherever and see, oh my gosh, um, we need to collect more data on, you know, 
this, this, and that. And also while we were writing the report, we realized this report could almost be retranslated to, um, men and women, you know, just Mm -hmm. the diverse workforce or just meeting the needs of the actual workforce, because we have people of all shapes and sizes and genders and transitions and life, Mm -hmm. um, life cycle events. Like we, we got into, um, pregnancy menopause. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's issues, um, when women are dealing with, um, life cycle changes of pregnancy and menopause. So, um, and that impacts, PPE that they need at work. And so just being that single source of information for workers to Mm -hmm. say, I'm not just complaining about stuff. There's actual data to support what I'm asking for. The data that you've gathered, is it mostly data obtained through 3D digital scanning or is it from other sources? Yeah, NIOSH, when they do their anthropometric data, it's mostly like a lot of that 3D scanning. Um, There's other, I'm sure there's other ways of measuring some distances on the face and even like distances on the ears and like very small things like that. Um, I'm sure there's different ways. We didn't get into that in the report about the methods, but because we've cited those sources, people can easily go and look at, you know, what's NIOSH doing? What are these firefighters doing? What's the U.S. military doing for gathering this data? When women have the proper PPE at at work, everyone benefits from this. You've talked about this. You said in one of your articles, you said not having PPE that fits leaves workers feeling unprotected, undervalued, and anxious. The psychological impact of ill-fitting PPE should not be ignored as it can lead to injuries, poor performance, and difficulty in retaining good workers. And the flip side of that is, you know, you know, of course, having the proper PPE makes women feel valued, feel seen, acknowledged, um, and welcome in the workplace. Yeah. But as you mentioned, we have, as women in these male-populated industries, we have to pick our battles because there is so much that we have to fight against in order just to have an equal playing field. But so how can we break this down? What are a few bullet points so that women and allies Allies, please. Yes, allies, help us. <laughs> yes. Can approach employers with some arguments of why better PPE is needed. You know, something that came to me recently as I've been just writing more on this topic is that it's been pretty well documented since, I mean, I saw stuff as far back as 95, 98, mm-hmm. um, in 99, uh, OSHA had the, the Haswick report, Health and Safety of Women in Construction. And you could read this stuff pre-2000 and not knowing the dates, it could have been written yesterday. And that's terrible. (laughs) So I I look at, I I get a little cynical. I mean, we're in March, it's Women's History Month. Next week is Women in Construction Week. And Mm -hmm. throughout the year, unfortunately, we have different um, women's equal pay days with um, Asian and white women reaching their equal pay days earlier in the year, Black and Native American women reaching their equal pay days into like September and October and later, which is just terrible. So we have all these points of awareness. Um, I say the word awareness with like dripping cynicism because have we not been aware for long enough? Um, It's a matter of action. And so that's why uh, for me personally, when people ask for awareness or, you know, kind of like soft um, 
articles about PPE for women and you know, things like that. It's like, no, let me show you something from 95 that, <laughs> you know, we're, we're having the same conversations. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. And I see, you know, women in construction and women in different trades and industries being highlighted and, and celebrated. And it's like, okay, that's great. But sometimes I look at the pictures and it's like this baggy safety vest or, mm. you know, a lopsided hard hat. And it's like, well, how are you really celebrating those women on your work site if their gear looks like it's their dad's? Um, so I think um, I've lost your question in my pontificating, <laughs> but I feel that, you know, the time for action and real support and action by those allies it's past time. Um, you know, this data that we pulled together for the technical report, it's been out there, you know, mm -hmm. people can access it. It's open source. It's not like we're, we're paying to grab these reports. It's just that we're doing almost like a literature review and saying, here's everything on a platter. You know, the next time someone gives you crap about why do women need this? Or why do we need to, to have alternative or extra size options and, and fit availability? It's like, well, here's why our, you know, women in construction in all aspects of construction are now over 10% of mm -hmm. the industry. Um, it used to be single digits. So clearly the need is there because there's more, even just women in the workforce. Then we also have, um, we didn't even get into in the report because it's not part of the scope, but as I've learned since, um, sizing for the growing Hispanic workforce population, um, that workforce is expected to double, uh, up to the year 2050. So more women, more minorities in the workforce in construction, especially through the year 2050. So those numbers are supporting the need for having a more um, diverse approach to PPE for all workers. But honestly, raising the issues of the issues that women have with PPE, that seems to be like a safe thing to do. And so if we're able to convince workplaces and, and managers and supervisors to take a custom approach for the women, the mm -hmm. hope is, like I wrote before, is that it will benefit all the workers, that custom approach. Because the funny mm -hmm. things are, I mean, uh, as there's more like maternity uh, workwear, I I always hear from men, they're like, oh, I might like a little extra space in the belly too <laughs> for yeah. some of my workwear. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's just one example. Um, mm -hmm. There's a really cool workwear brand that they have more of like uh, fitted jeans and coveralls. And they have men buying some of their stuff because the men don't want super baggy jeans. They want like fitted workwear. So it's almost like a, not like unisex, but just options have options. Yeah. Options are how, great. How can you, how can you argue against options? Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your podcast because I know we only have a few minutes left, but I want to make sure we, we bring it up because it's such an amazing podcast and your co-founder and are your founder and co-host of, of the safety justice podcast. What's it all about? So <laughs> I, I should correct very okay. quickly. I'm a, a former co-host. So okay. now um, 
the two Jasons have a co-host named Allison and she's amazing. So I'm still very close to the Safety Justice League um, hosts and the podcast itself and the community, but I'm no longer active as a co-host on the podcast, but definitely still strongly support it. I love um, what they're doing for the safety community and I know there's even people that aren't in safety that listen to it and benefit from it, but they really get into things um, that help safety people just do their job better. And a lot of it, we always would laugh. It's like rooted in better communication. And when we learn how to communicate better, it makes your workday more enjoyable. Um, going back way back to my past of just asking questions and approaching workers with curiosity, that really makes the day fun. Um, and then you also learn what the workers need. So that helps you identify priorities to do your job better. So it's all like great synergy. So I really love the work that they continue to do on the podcast and totally support and especially support Allison, of course. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay. Uh, so where can our listeners find you? Uh, is it your LinkedIn or is there a website? Tell us where they can actually get in touch with you and um, find out more about all of the work that you're doing. Yeah. So LinkedIn is probably where I post the most. I just feel like that's where I get the most um, interaction from people that's, um, you know, valid and makes sense and helps me further my missions that I'm doing. Um, so find me on LinkedIn. I think my LinkedIn is like, dot com slash safety Abby. So, or just okay. by my name, I think there's only one other Abby fairy and she's definitely not in safety. So you can tell us apart. Um, I kind of feel bad for her sometimes <laughs> that we share the name, uh. um, <laughs> but you can also go to insurate.com and also abbyfairy.com for more just about what I'm doing, um, what I'm focusing on. And, uh, but LinkedIn is probably the best place for following along with what's going on. Cool. Are you going to be at the safety conference in June? Oh, I don't know yet. I'm not a speaker. Um, <laughs> so that I know of yet. Um, I'm just not sure. I'm really focusing a lot more on risk management and insurance and, you know, not so much less on safety, but just more adding more risk management and also even human resources to my network. Um, my client base that I have at Insurate, there's a lot of great human resources professionals that are tasked with safety. And sometimes it's begrudgingly and sometimes they're excited about it. So I'm doing a lot. <laughs> of like that, that connection and synergy between human resources, operations and safety and how they all come together in perfect harmony for risk management. So that's been a lot of my focus lately. With the help of Abby Ferry, because you're a perfect yes. person. <laughs> <laughs> Abby Ferry, safety expert. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you so much for all of your amazing work that you're doing for women in male populated fields. And we love that you use the term male populated instead of male dominated. That's right. You're making, you're making a huge difference and we really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.